Hello, welcome to TikTok, the podcast where we deep dive into viral artists on TikTok to learn more about them and hear more of their music. I'm your host, Roxy Cowan, and today's guest is someone I think is truly just so cool and could be called a walking encyclopedia. Today's guest (laughs) is the one and only Z Evan Long. Hello, Z. How are you? Hello, I'm great. Thanks for the warm introduction. I'm glad to be on the show. Of course. I'm really nervous to have you on the show because you have your own Chapman Radio show and you're also just very intelligent when it comes to music. But I'm really, really interested in hearing what you have to say, especially because today's artist is somebody that I really don't know, didn't grow up with, don't know much for music. So it'll be interesting to hear you talking about more of a connection that you have with her. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Live from the bunker, Thursdays. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, Kate Bush is actually an artist that has been kind of on the periphery of my vision, like in terms of my listening, up until quarantine, where like in March, I sort of delved into like a bunch of artists that I've been meaning to listen to for the longest Mm -hmm. time. One of those was Kate Bush. So I kind of like went through the whole discography and I really fell in love with uh, her music, especially like the 80s albums. I just really think they're masterpieces. She's such a genius and like a unique visionary artist that there's nobody out there like her like you said she is so different than anything else that's out there but then obviously has inspired so many other artists since her career since she started making music yes i think she's in the category with like bowie in that Mm -hmm. her influence and the way people attach themselves to her music has like grown exponentially over time that Mm -hmm. even when she was popular and had her audience in the late 70s and the 80s she's so much more influential now because she was so ahead of her time and she was a true trailblazer and I think all the like really innovative like genre crossing artists of today have so much of a debt to Kate Bush oh for sure I mean even I don't remember what song it was specifically but it's one of the songs on our list today and it sounded very similar to music that we had today but I was also reading this article at I think the beginning of 2021 and it was talking about how much of our music today is inspired by 80s pop and like the very 80s synth sounding that has now come back into our music so even looking at that is really interesting Um, and her music is so different like no song sounds the same yeah yeah no and I think what's interesting about Kate Bush's music is that it takes from like a very old traditional classical music upbringing and Mm -hmm. a very like traditionalist perspective on music. It's not like particularly jazzy or funky, but it's very like rooted in Britain. It's a very British Mm. music. Um, But also it comes at like the nexus of music becoming like digitalized and more Mm -hmm. instruments like electric guitars are sort of turning into synths and electric basses are turning into synth basses right when she's like innovating and releasing these albums. So what you get is electronic music that isn't exactly electronic music, but it's incredibly intricate and it's very complex for being synth pop music. It, like it's very listenable and it's catchy, but like mm-hmm. underneath the layers, there is so much density to her music, like in lyrics, in music, and the just the like the general way that she produces an album was so ahead of its time but because she was like fortuitously born at this specific time you get classical inspired music that has guitar solos and keyboards Mm. but it has it doesn't lose any of the musical integrity of classical music or the musical integrity of the music that influenced Kate Bush well yeah and even looking at or listening to her 
uh, voice. It's very classical and almost sounds operatic at times, sort of like looking at Joni Mitchell was sort of the first person that came to mind of just very all over the place, has insane range. So I'm sure that she would not only have been trained musically, classically, but also probably vocally more classically and would have skewed more towards that. But yeah. So the first song is going to be Babushka by, obviously, Kate Bush. So yeah, let's give it a listen. so bombastic there's something so interesting about the glass breaking um that it's not necessarily musical but it it's an added part of the song that is so hard to not notice yeah 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 no i think it adds a layer to it and um i'm gonna really try i'm gonna like (laughs) walk on the tightrope to not sound pretentious when i talk about um uh i think that 
it represents a sort of like influence of where classical music was going or what it had been doing at the time when she was doing this that um like musique concrete the like french uh method of incorporating real sounds and tape loops into classical music had like recently become like a big thing with um Steve Reich and with like Philip Glass like contemporary modern composers that were really like changing classical music because it was no longer in vogue or was no longer fab really so it had to push boundaries in a different way and I think it's just interesting that she combines these like uh like operatic uh musical passages with these like little interludes of like music concrete inside the song it just like adds a different dimension it makes it like very modern sounding so i guess then one of my first questions for you would be what drew you to kate bush yeah i think like for years kate bush had just uh been on my like list of things that everybody kept talking about and there was so much like speculation and stuff written about kate bush but i had like never actually uh had the time or just devoted the time to like get really into it um I remember like one of my friends was really into Kate Bush but I kind of like stood on the sidelines and I was like oh that's kind of cool um but honestly I think I was like as I was raised I was more used to um very like bold and artistically um artistically innovative voices that were from like a very masculine perspective that's kind of what I grew up getting used to and that's what got canonized like Bowie which is like often like the dichotomy of like Kate Bush Bowie is really what I grew up worshiping because I kind of found myself like more easily attached to his voice or resonated more where I think Kate Bush's uh artistic voice is pretty uniquely feminine but it's not restricted to um just being like a woman artist like i think she refuses that sort of pigeonholing and categorization because um she's sort of like deceivingly um deceivingly i guess uh image focused that people sort of look at her image more than they look at her actual music I think well that's I I guess that's kind of true with a lot of 80s pop phenomenon that uh it was like very kind of although it made great music a lot of it was kind of shallow and like very image based like how can we sell you as a product and I think Kate Bush kind of stands out in that category because she was never interested in being sold as a product or being sold as an image or an object like she is a very bold and singular artist in her own right and she'll make the music she wants to make regardless of whether people listen to it and i think that's what really kept me in is that she has such a bold and like such a strong vision for her art the first song that you brought in is wuthering heights uh yeah. would you like to give a bit of an intro to the song why you picked it why you like it yeah this is like probably kate bush's most famous song and her most like accessible song i guess um what's really significant is that she recorded this when she was 18 years old which is incredible um it's just like unthinkable to me that she had like this much creative control and did so much with it mm. i think like if you released 
even like the most talented and skilled 18 year old musicians you could find and just gave them a studio and gave them dozens of musicians and said go nuts none of them could produce like anything it's like one in a million as brilliant and as great as this song and um uh i think it's also significant because it's the starting point in her career and it sort of signaled it or at least when it was released it sort of signaled to the world that this was like a bold and innovative uh woman artist who wasn't going to compromise for anybody who wasn't going mm. to like compromise her aesthetic taste for a like male or masculine audience she was going to make the music that wasn't that was like channeled through her influences and through her inspirations um i think that's what makes the song unique and it's got a, that great guitar solo
that song has quite possibly the longest fade out I've ever heard <laughs> in a song. It does, yeah, it takes a while to fade out. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it, I, I think it's just like, it's not a second too long to me, mm-hmm. but it's just the perfect length of song. And like structurally, it, there's so much to love about it that like immediately when you get like your fill of the verse chorus and mm-hmm. she has that like great bridge and then the bridge goes into that great guitar solo and like every little little section of the song is so perfect yeah you almost get like half of two songs because you get all of the audio or all of the the vocal and the lyrics and then you get about a minute of just instrumental stuff and i think it's cool seeing the the respect of also the instrumental side of music yeah. but it's interesting seeing that she took inspiration from Emily Bronte, especially because I think both of them can be kind of mirrored to their own time of being very much in a more masculine world and not adapting themselves, except Emily Bronte, obviously writing under the pseudonym, but both of them releasing artistic material and not willing to compromise their material because of what a patriarchal society says. Yeah, and they're they're both incredibly sophisticated, mm-hmm. and they're like so well studied. And she's eighteen; it's insane how like how talented she is, how skilled, mm-hmm. and how how like well adjusted to the studio environment she already is. I always think it's so interesting when people so young are able to do something so different, especially because when you are growing up, you're constantly bombarded with so much material that it is so easy to kind of just bend into that and flow with it rather than going against it. So she is obviously just so creative that she was able to have such a strong vision and then also pursue that and completely go for it and not bend into what was popular at the time. Yeah, yeah. I have this quote I wrote down that's like this section of the quote that I really love that Um, this uh, music journalist wrote about Kate Bush. She says she writes from a well of fantasy with a patina of experience, which I really love how she says um, the patina of experience, which I didn't even know was a descriptor, but um, (laughs) which I think how I interpreted that was meaning that you have an artist who like by age and by like maturity is like quite naive. And Mm, she mm -hmm. like, has her entire life to like grow and develop as an artist but already she's drawing from this incredible well of inspiration and uh, like it's interesting to me that almost all the songs from this first album the kick inside are inspired Mm -hmm. by other material they're like inspired Mm -hmm. by other songs movies books musicals i mean she draws from this huge well and synthesizes all of these different influences and different measures of art from dance to theater to classical music rock music literature and she brings it all together and she Mm -hmm. puts it in this like amazing mixture and it's just so fortuitous that like the result became a great song in its own right do you know how much of the borrowing from other artistic material she did later on in her career i think she does it a lot more in her earlier um discography then like if you get to hounds of love it's like she's no longer really borrowing from great literature she's like writing her own great literature (laughs) and each song is its own great musical poem and it's interesting that you bring up hounds of love because 
just poking around online, NPR released a list of 150 greatest albums released by women, and she was number 37 for that album. And I love these lists, um, but also, like, supplementary to the list of, like, great women songwriters. Finally, we're getting to this point where mm-hmm. these great women songwriters are being transferred to the uh, comprehensive list. What has your experience on the app, because it is about the app, been and also how it fits into our culture because i think that is a much more interesting conversation yeah yeah no i don't really see i'm still on kate bush tiktok but i'm not (laughs) seeing as many kate bush tiktoks as there was like a wave a while ago of people doing the transition uh Mm -hmm. things to babushka which uh, interesting i uh revisited the music video for babushka and it kind of follows the same general outline where she's doing this like modern dance like interpretive performance around a stand-up bass and right when the song like kicks into the chorus um there's a little like match cut where she like changes outfits that kind of is like the tiktok transition and it's got i mean it does have such like an explosive chorus that Mm -hmm. um like even people who are not familiar with the song or are not familiar with kate bush or music can like hear the chorus and they're like oh this is so cool this is so empowering of like a you know like powerful musical phrase Mm -hmm. well especially the word babushka like i think that also attributes to people latching onto it interestingly enough i also encountered that she didn't know what the word meant i have a hard time believing this that like really you made this song okay with like without (laughs) knowing this sure and, um, like, if you could hear it, I heard it earlier today, but there's mm-hmm. a balalaika, the, like, Russian triangular mandolin thing. Oh. Um, it's being played by Patty Bush, her older brother, and you can oh. kind of hear the strumming at the end of the song. So, mm. like, there's definitely a Russian kind of cultural mm. uh, fusion. Well, that's a whole other thing that has sort of come up on the app too because the song Rasputin became super popular. There is this like Russian infusion not only in American culture at the time within music but also then looking at like the app like 40 years later um, yeah which is also yeah. interesting to kind of see that connection but yeah I, I think uh, maybe this is an American thing where mm-hmm. um, f- like artists in other countries and artists of different um ethnicities or like mm-hmm. immigrant backgrounds for like decades were making music that sounded like american pop music but had a little mm. twist in it like for lack of a better term ethnic twist not ethnic as in like oh that's ethnic but right. just referring to your own ethnicity right like rasputin is a disco song with yes. a russian twist and yeah. babushka has a little russian twist to it and there was like, Stay With Me, the Japanese disco song that got, like, really big on TikTok. There have been, like, a weird influx of foreign pop songs on mm-hmm. TikTok. It's, I yeah. think, uh, m- maybe there's something, like, exotic about hearing a French song or, like, a song mm-hmm. spoken in another language to people. But it's still, like, in a lexicon, like, a musical lexicon that we can understand. It's, yes. like, palatable for American audiences because they're not listening to traditional russian folk music they're Mm -hmm. listening to a disco song with elements of russian folk music 
So it's like a little sampler. Why don't we go on to the next song, which is Suspended in Gaffa. Do you want to talk about why you picked this one? Yes, yes. This is like, if I had to pick a favorite Kate Bush song, this might be it. Um, hmm. I really love how intricate the music is on this song. And it's like, it's a waltz. It's in three, which <laughs> I just think is so fascinating. And I guess I should say that like a waltz is something you see sometimes in popular music, but not mm. really. It's not really mm. commonly occurring. It definitely owes to like the classical music influence. There's a certain autopilot that I go on when I listen to a mm. pop song, but right. Kate Bush's music is not really the music that you can go on autopilot with. So mm. if you look through all of the instruments and all the sounds that she's incorporating into this big musical collage and you really wanted to center in on the weird sounds that are in the background of this song like you could spend hours on it and I think that's what's so fascinating about it I'm really excited to hear this song again now <laughs> knowing that information out in the garden is hot for the heaven and we're only bluffing we're not ones for busting through walls but they've told us unless we can prove that we're doing it we can't have it all he's gonna wangle away to get out of it she's an excuse and a witness will talk when he's called but they've told us unless we can prove that we're doing it we can't have it all Thank you. 
I looked up the lyrics while we were listening to it, and I wound up on Genius. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff about the lyrics. Yeah, because I always thought, or always, I thought that it was much more of like a fanciful world that she was sort of building, but she's, Gaffa is literally just Gaffer's tape. (laughs) And she's talking about like being suspended in this web that she can't get out of, and it's all sticky, and it's super strong, and... I was like, hold on, <laughs> this is not at all the image I thought you were painting. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and that's I think, a great song. Yeah, I think it works on, like, the lyrics, I think, of the song work on multiple different levels. We start out with, like, the lyric, out in the garden, there's half of a heaven, which I also, always sort of interpreted as being about the Garden of Eden and about Adam and Eve. Oh, interesting. So, um, if she's talking about uh, feeling trapped, I think... Uh, in this context, you can read it as being trapped existentially, as um, wanting it all being something more like deep and profound to her. But also, um, half of a heaven, I sort of read as talking about Adam and Eve. That like the myth of um, Eve being created from Adam's rib, and that these are like the two prototypal humans that are sort of made for each other by uh, by God in the Book of Genesis. That there are these like two halves of a whole so she might Mm -hmm. be imagining a romance in this context as me and you being like two halves of heaven as being this whole Hmm. that's interesting especially looking at the album cover because it it's like her and a man that look like they're kissing and there's chains yeah and she has she has a little like engagement or a wedding ring in on her tongue (laughs) if you like look closely yeah yeah Whoa, um, it's such a cool album cover because like yeah. some is in color and some isn't and it's very obviously sepia tone but yeah that's it's a I very didn't even cool that. One. thank you for pointing that out yeah and um i think like but they've told us unless we can prove that we're doing it we can't have it all i always thought that mm-hmm. this was so, like a sort of extension of like the romantic existential like dichotomy of the song where you can mm-hmm. read it as um we can't have it all i want it all being something like more profound as like an expression of angst like i want something more that i can give myself or we can't have it all is a partner so you're kind of wanting something out of another person that they can't give you or you want to improve this relationship or get something out of this relationship with this person but it's frustrating because your feet are made of mud and it's going slow-mo Um, you feel like you're suspended with gaffer's tape, so you're kind of restricted back by this this romance or this relationship. My final nerd point about the the lyrics is (laughs) my favorite couplet of lines is in the third verse when she says, there's something appears in the way, it's a plank in my eye with a camel who's trying to get through it, is like a Mm. dual reference to two different biblical verses. So, um... Yeah, first you take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye, is from Matthew 7-5. And of course, then like the more famous uh, biblical passage is from Matthew 19-24, in the, um, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So Mm -hmm. she's like combining these two different biblical verses to apply two totally different interpretations of them is so cool and i think it's it's definitely not a religious song it's not like a christian song she's applying these uh 
these biblical quotes not as Bible thumping, but she's really mm-hmm. applying them as emotionally resonant poetry. So she's locking into the poetry of these lines and saying, like, I hear this, um, I hear this part about the Garden of Eden and about Adam and Eve, and I see that in my own angst, and I see that in my own relationships, my own love for myself and for another person, and I'll, like, mm-hmm. apply that and synthesize it to this song. And it's, like, another case of her sort of, like, synthesizing her influences, which I think mm-hmm. is, like, it connects with us maybe because this is, like, a very uh, distinctly modern thing that has only really mm-hmm. appeared in, like, the 20th century. When art started referencing itself, it was, like, a huge mm-hmm. revolution. Um, the idea that, like, postmodernism opened this door to... Um, create something original from finding works of other people and sort of taping them together, painting over it and creating a collage that's your own, but it's also a synthesis and a combination like a Frankenstein's monster of all the stuff that influenced you. It's like a very sort of, it's a very modern way of looking at music in Mm. the same way that I think like crate digging DJ records and like instrumental hip hop albums that use samples and uh, bits of dialogue from movies and mm-hmm. string them all together into a cohesive song is its own song, but it uses originality in a sort of self-referential theft kind of way. She's like a very clever thief in that respect, I think. I love the phrase, the clever thief. Kate Bush, the clever thief. Her memoir, or like her next (laughs) album, like it just it flows so well. How do you know so much about music? Like, (laughs) what is it about music that just pulls you in so much? Because obviously, you're very well versed in music. Besides, like, oh, I like the tempo, and (laughs) like you, you understand so much about it. So, what is it about music, and how did you have this pull towards it to begin with? Thank you, thank you. That's a very, uh, that's a very meaningful compliment coming from you. Um, thank you. Let me think. Uh, I've like always uh, been raised with like a lot of different styles of music, um, mm-hmm. and my like my boomer parents are probably like a great <laughs> deal of the contributing factor to this. Right. Um, and the fact that my mom's uh, my mom's family were always like very invested in music and when it comes to jazz and classical, like having a, like a, a rich foundation of the, of the modern sort of lexicon of music was always sort of like impressed on me as a kid that okay. um, you can listen to this music that you enjoy, but it's also important to track back the footsteps of influence to see mm-hmm. what this artist that you love listened to and understand where they got certain traits. Um, I sort of got raised doing that in a way, I guess, because I heard, like, oftentimes I heard the artists that influenced modern, uh, modern albums before I heard the modern albums themselves, that it was kind of like a reverse thing for me, instead of, like, instead of listening to, like, Kendrick Lamar and hearing, like, this thing, I was like, oh, I wonder what this is, and then tracking it back and finding out that he's borrowing from, like, James Brown and Funkadelic. I listened to James Brown and Funkadelic as a kid because of my parents' taste and from, like, what I got out of the library and, like, listened to obsessively 
on my like CD player. So like by the time I by the time I got to like to Pimp a Butterfly, I was like, oh, he's doing a James Brown. So like it was it was like in a weird way making me able to appreciate modern music a little bit more. And, uh, well, not all modern music, but, like, certain modern music that borrows a lot more from the past. Um, that's sort of the, that's the appeal for me, I guess, of, uh, listening to a lot of old music that I guess I learned, from, for me at least, the value of learning the lineage of music from, like, an early age, and I've sort of kept with it since... Well, it's funny, it's almost like you're listening, or you are listening to music in chronological order. Not yeah. necessarily, okay, I'm going to start <laughs> with like, this time period and then I'm going to work up to today. But yeah. more so that talking about how you listen to the influences before you listen to the influenced is yeah. interesting. And yeah. it, it very much makes you sound like almost a musical Sherlock Holmes <laughs> in a way of like, okay, so all of this works together and then this person is influenced by this person. And like, putting this whole web together. I got the big cork board. <laughs> yeah, like the the meme of like yeah, it's yeah. always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me. I'm Charlie with the cork board. <laughs> I'm sure it's so satisfying when you are able to pick out the influences in modern day music and kind of yeah. pull everything together. Like yeah, that. I think inf- I think music is also like a social thing for me. It's mm. it's a big social, uh, I guess like a social gel where I can appreciate other people. I can connect to other people with like different styles of music and different artists because I think as I've sort of discovered as I broadened my taste in like high school I kind of learned that there's something to enjoy in every style of music like no matter what your taste is what your sensibility is there is somebody working within that style who will appeal right to you and you'll find this like coupling or this like grouping of people and influences where you can trace it back and you can understand every step because you you also feel a little uh like kinship to it so um like modern artists who are borrowing from funk music and soul music and jazz uh if you like those artists you're likely to enjoy what they listen to and of course everybody's Mm -hmm. taste is different but if you key in on the sensibility, if you like key in on the appeal of what makes people like this music, you're going to find mm. something to like everywhere. Because like, if you really like music, I love music that's nice and pleasant, but if I'm like in an angry mood, I can also listen to like metal, you know, right. it, they have different times and they have different appeals. And I don't think one is more or less valid than the other. They're just mm. good for different sensibilities and good for different facets i guess of exploring what music means or like what music can do is not a it's not a singular question of music is supposed to make you feel good music's most supposed to make you feel bad music is supposed to make you think or not think there's Mm. no correct answer because i think everything is a correct answer like whatever it does for you is what makes music great I think that's the most anti-gatekeeping <laughs> way of explaining music I've ever heard. Like, it's so refreshing to be like, I don't care what you listen to. Go for it. Because yeah. I think people can be very protective of their music. And that's true. Very, yeah. um, I don't know, almost hierarchical of their music. With yeah. like, oh, my music's better than you. Or like, oh, you listen to XYZ, but this person released it for like, okay, sure. But I think that just saying music is very personal yeah. makes it very easy to kind of 
compartmentalize in a way. Yeah, yeah. The music is like an yeah, and while like music is I think an emotional and personal experience that each individual shares with the music, mm-hmm. it's also a cultural phenomenon and it's really right. hard to separate or like divorce culture from music, which is why yeah, people want to gatekeep music or they get mad when something they like gets popular or mm. isn't as popular as they think it should be. It's more like a cultural context or like a cultural understanding of music. It's like a shorthand where we can see you listen to this music, you must be this kind of person because we yeah. draw these we draw these lines between sensibility and politics and like sensibility and identity mm. where people with similar tastes or people with similar uh backgrounds tend to gravitate towards a certain kind of music it doesn't really say anything about them as people but it's a general cultural trend that people will call out so i think this is like the thing with um like female manipulator music and male manipulator music where like Mm. people of a certain kind may gravitate towards music more than others and culturally it might be insulting to someone to hear that you listen to this artist that are that is associated with this cultural niche it's really about, it might be about the music for you. It's more right. about emotions, but you can't ignore that music has a heavy cultural context to it as well. So the fourth song you picked, and do you want yes. to talk about why you picked it? Yeah, no, and Mother Stands for Comfort well. is yes. another one of my favorite Kate Bush songs. It's interestingly the only song on side A of Hounds of Love that wasn't released as a single, but I still think it's a great song, like alongside like the perfect side a where like every song is just sublime in this album (laughs) i just freak out like how great these songs back to back are with each other but what uh another reason my ulterior motive for choosing this song is because um it's because of the fretless bass that um it's played by a german uh jazz bassist named eberhard weber who became, like, a big collaborator with Kate Bush on The Dreaming, and he appears on a bunch of her, like, albums, uh, Dreaming and Past, but, uh, it's kind of a full circle with, uh, Wuthering Heights and Babushka, where she's experimenting with this sound of fretless bass, but -hmm. you can, like, really hear, like, the perfected version of this, like, very Kate Bush-esque sound in this song, and, uh, Yes, we will discuss that after the song. I like having these little almost like homework assignments before we listen to each song because then it makes me listen to it more actively. So yeah. again, I'm very excited to listen to this as well because now I have like homework for it. So this is great. <laughs> yeah.
ending of that song the way yeah, that it no. kind of flickers out yeah it's the very ending haunting. is so great yeah it's a fun addition to the song especially because the song like, is already very haunting to begin with yeah like the weird whistly synth sound that is yeah. like it's present through the entire song and then everything drops out and you get a little like whistly outro do you know if that whistly sound is a theremin good question i don't know <laughs> okay. um it might be a theremin um yeah, it's got kind of a wobbly, uh, yeah. you know, intertonal uh, theremin sound, which is kind of interesting when it's like paired with the fretless bass that yeah. um, Eberhard Weber is such a great player and he's got an album called The Colors of Chloe that I really love. And I didn't actually make the connection until like I looked up the personnel on Hounds of Love and I was like, oh my God, that's Eberhard Weber. It's like a huge <laughs> deal. It's like a very famous musician. But he gels really well with Kate Bush's style because um, I think what the electric fretless bass like brings to the song is just kind of like the the synth the theremin-y synth is it's sort of sliding in between notes. It's very like intertonal and fluid in its sound, mm. and in like a normal fretted bass, like you're not going to get that. You're going to get note 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 note. But instead, he's sort of sliding in between notes and you get a sort of you get a sort of sound that you'd get on like a bowed upright double bass. But you get yeah. it in like a very electricized. Uh, that's not a word. And a very like electrified <laughs> sound. I think it's really unique. It's interesting because the fretless bass very much sounds like late 80s early 90s jazz that i just very much attribute like jazz yeah, with that time jazz. period i've tried to explain it to my parents and they're like i just and i'm like no it jazz <laughs> is just the 90s like i can't explain it and so i just looked to see that this album was released in 1985 yeah. so again she was still very i mean i'm sure that there was some influences before her that kind of influenced why she did the the song or why she did it that way but still again very much ahead of her time yeah um, with the instrumentation yeah yeah, and it's it's we get the um the musique concrete influence again with the, the we have like a little shattering and like um breaking yeah. glass noises that are like sort of sprinkled in this song. Yeah. It's very cool. It's a, almost and I say this delicately, but a very monotonous song where like not much necessarily happens, but a lot is pushed in yeah. to the song. Yeah that makes it very full and interesting to listen to. Yeah, no, uh, cool. yeah, I think monotonous is interesting, yeah, because when you say that, it kind of reminds me of, uh, it's, it's kind of similar to the Beatles song, Tomorrow Never Knows, where mm. Ringo plays the same, uh, the same four-bar drum lick for the whole song. It sounds like a robot is doing it because he's so precise. And in this song, you have the same thing, where the ba the drums are playing the same thing, for the whole song and uh the bass is fiddling around and improvising but he's sort of staying on the same scale the same okay. on like the same little chord progression that doesn't last very long but it's repetitious and it it's a little droney a little bit like trance like mm. this goes back to my music sherlock holmes and the <laughs> satisfaction i think 
you very much find in like understanding a song which is interesting yeah. to watch not necessarily that i like saw the process of it but just having you explain it to me i can see how it's very much almost a fun game of listening to music that you are drawn to and trying to figure out why you're drawn to it what makes it interesting yeah. and how it is put together yeah that's really cool i always get really mad when generations ahead of us are like kids these days just don't understand art <laughs> and like all they want to do is play on their phone like you go to show that like no there is very much a deeper understanding of music and an interest in music and in classic music as well like yeah you know we can appreciate different genres of music and i think it's really great that like over the past 20 years it feels like we've gotten incredibly more analytical especially about like viewing hip-hop music yeah which is very satisfying it's like uh i wish that this type of like deep poetic analysis was mainstream at mm. like Tupac's time because yeah. what Tupac was doing poetically was so brilliant and he's like one of the most visionary artists of his time and he was never given that mainstream uh, validation and instead mm. like Vice President Dan Quayle said we'll ban Tupac's albums and like that's the treatment that he got he got vilified for essentially the same thing that Kendrick Lamar is doing now Hmm. Um, but it's really great that we're getting to this, we've gotten to this point, uh, over the past, like, 20 years that Tupac and, you know, Biggie are sort of revered mm -hmm. as the brilliant poets that they were, and that it's not a controversial statement anymore to no. say that hip-hop is poetry. It's just totally unrelated, but it's something that I'm very proud about, about this, like, no. sort of Gen Z and millennials finally, like, accepting, you know after it being sort of maligned and vilified in the 80s and the 90s that hip-hop like from 2000 onward is getting the artistic um, analysis and retrospection that it deserves well especially because it is so lyric based it is literally yeah. just like musical poetry yeah like you and that's exactly what you said earlier with kate bush is you said yeah. that she i think you actually said musical poetry <laughs> um so we're all coming for full circle here. yeah what like one of the big the big supporters of Kate Bush in modern music is Big Boy from Outkast. He is a huge Kate Bush fan. And he, like, right. I see him, I see him on like Noisy and Pitchfork and like Genius dissect and they're like, bring Big Boy in. And they're like, can you talk about running up that hill? And he was like, hell yeah. And he like does a whole oh. thing. It's so cool. I mean, that just goes to show how many different people she has influenced, which we talked yeah. about at the top of the episode, but that, yeah. It really just spans so many genres of music and everybody can kind of take something from her yeah. that will serve their genre that they produce. Yeah. Yeah, which is I so think cool. Yeah, as long as there my <laughs> the final point I think is like as long as there are boundary pushing artists, as long mm -hmm. as there are artists who are looking to make music that isn't easily uh categorized by genre, easily mm -hmm. categorized by style and as long as there are artists who want to push the boundaries of what art can do, what complex art can do, and how they can co incorporate their influences in a way that feels modern and mm -hmm. uh, forward-thinking, Kate Bush will always have a place in music. So what I'm hearing is Kate Bush <laughs> is responsible for Outkast's Hey Ya. Yes, Just, exactly. Okay, cool. <laughs> I think that is the final point. <laughs> that can have a whole just... radio show on its own. 
how Kate Bush is responsible <laughs> for Outcast Hey Off. This was such a fascinating conversation. First yeah. of all, thank you so much for coming on the show. It means a lot having this like cool crossover episode with Life in the Bunker. Yeah. I listen to Life in the Bunker <laughs> all the time in freshman year. I mean, I, I still do. I think it's great. Thank you. You, again, are so knowledgeable about music and you bring so much to the table when it comes to talking about music. Thank you. And I love the different songs that you bring up and the way that you're able to tie things together. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, thank you. Is there anything that you would like to plug? So, so yeah, um, I'm working on a special sort of series on Life from the Bunker. We're going to start doing uh, album retrospectives where we go like track by track mm. to like a classic or iconic album, unpack the context of the recording the meaning of the lyrics, the significance of the music, and sort of the aftermath. So the first one is uh, Neil Young's 1974 album, On the Beach. Okay. I'm, very, I'm very excited. This is my favorite Neil Young album, and I'm uh, ecstatic to be able to talk about it track by track. Live from the bunker at 3 p.m. <laughs> but yes, so thank you again for being on the show, and I hope you have a great rest of your night. All right, signing off.